0: Welcome to the Must Be Destroyed on Site, a movie podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Lee Russell, joined again by my co-host, Daniel Harper, now without a beard.
2: Yeah, that's not really going to come across on audio, though. But
0: Well, I don't know. Your beard was so big that I have a feeling that when people were listening to it, they were probably getting some bristles in their ear.
2: There's probably just a little bit of a, um, a resonance change uh, without a <laughs> beard, um, especially with my uh, spiffy uh, snowball blue micro- microphone. Yeah, yeah exactly.
0: so this time around we're going to be uh getting into some more sex comedies this is sort of a series we are doing the plans are to go to the end of may unless we get tired of doing it and then we'll just switch to something else but uh there are plenty of things to go through so we might very well make it to the end of may uh doing sex comedies so
2: i might regret this by the end because i kind of recommended this and now we're watching a lot of uh shitty 80s movies so uh i'm kind of okay with that but uh Definitely uh, a, a lot of uh, cheesy titty flicks are in our future.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not complaining too much, I mean, I still get to look at tits, and honestly, revisiting some of these movies, you actually see a lot of stuff you didn't pick up, like, the first time you watched it, 15 years ago, you know? <laughs>
2: All right. I uh, know, absolutely, I've got, a, I've got a lot to say about some of these, so, uh, I'm looking forward to this.
0: We should get right into our sort of little actor, uh, talk that we do now, uh, with each episode. we got two guys this time around, and I apologize that yet again, these are people who are dead. Um... <laughs> uh, <laughs> We're not trying to do Hollywood Babylon here, where we talk about uh, Tinseltown stiffs or whatever. But it just so happened that there were two actors I wanted to talk about. So I think the first one we'll we'll do is uh, Jeffrey Jeffrey Lewis just passed away the, uh, last week or so, um, seventy nine years old. Uh, apparently it was natural causes, so you know nothing nothing too tragic or anything like that. But well known character actor. Uh, father of Juliette Lewis, and he was uh, probably best known as like a longtime collaborator of Clint Eastwood's uh, in a lot of his films, like uh, Pink Cadillac, his two uh, monkey movies, uh, <laughs> Every Which Way But Lose, and Any Which Way You Can. <laughs> nice, nice, yeah. yeah, the monkey movies. And he was also in High Plains Drifter. But he, he's had a very distinguished career. Uh, he's he's like you we were saying off uh, offline. Um, He's that guy, you know. He's one of those guys. Yeah,
2: you know, I, you know, you said, oh, he just died. Let's let's do this guy, or, or Paul did. I blame <laughs> Paul for this, um, because you know, you guys sometimes know some of these character actors that I, you know, uh, don't always know. Uh, I would assume that occasionally it's going to be the other way around as well that that I know people that you guys don't. But uh, historically, at least in the last few episodes, it's been, oh yeah, let's do. You know, Robert Zadar, and I'm like, yeah, I kind of know him a bit. Um, this guy, I don't know at all. Jeffrey Lewis, I kind of looked him up. I've I'm, I'm seen a bunch of these movies. I kind of saw a picture of him, a couple of pictures, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I know that guy. But I have no, like, memory of a particular role. Um, it says he was in My Name is mm-hmm. Earl, and uh, I kind of vaguely remember that face in My Name is Earl because I watched that show a lot when it was on. Uh, apparently he did an episode of Law and Order: Criminal Intent, so I probably saw him there as well. He looks he looks familiar to me that, but I don't have a specific like oh yes this role is what I remember this yeah. guy from. Um, I, I I love these uh, character actors who do um, you know have the long career playing small roles. Um, I just don't have a particular role that I remember this guy from, and I apologize for that because I feel like kind of a shitty person.
0: That's all right. Um... <laughs> Thank you, Lee. Thank you, Lee. You made well, me feel like a you shitty know. person. I blame you. If I if I can ruin one person's night, then I've I can go to sleep with a smile on my face.
2: I, I'm I'm reading. I'm looking at his Wikipedia page now, and just the list of roles is kind of interesting. In a movie called Ten to Midnight, he played Dave Dante. In <laughs> Fletch Lives, he was a KKK leader,
0: and he was the best singer in that film because that film sucks.
2: That <laughs> film does suck. Yeah, no. Um, there was a I, the only thing I remember about Fletch Lives is it involves a televangelist. And it's uh, – there was a short sequence that involved uh, Chevy Chase as a plantation owner or something like that, like a fantasy yeah. sequence. Um, yeah, I think I saw that late one night. Very late, but yes. No. Sorry, now I'm just looking at the names and uh, going completely abstract on talking about Fletch lives because I have no memory of this actor. So, you know, <laughs> that's what but you yeah,
0: – but um, you know, not not a not a lot to say on him. I mean he he is just one of those guys where you saw his face and everything and he's one of those guys you grew up seeing him pop up and things. And, oh yeah, that guy, that guy, I like that guy. I mean, he's probably not as prominently known as like um Harry Dean Stanton or someone like that who right. everyone knows his name. Um but he was in some really great films. The I Lawnmower mean, Man? He was in the Lawnmower Man. Uh he double was... double
2: impact, the John Claude Van Damme. Mm-hmm. You know, twin movie. So, you know, he's got that going for
0: him. I just, I don't have the list in front of me here, but just double check. Was he in Salem's Lot, 1979, I believe? Yes, he was. Yeah. Mike Ryerson. Yeah. uh, Pretty, pretty good in that. Uh, Very underrated TV movie, by the way. Um,. But yeah, he was, he was just a, a really good character actor. Um, definitely, uh, he's one of those guys, every time you see him in something, you enjoy what he's doing. He's usually probably the best thing in the film. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so uh, unless you have anything else you want to say about him, we'll move on to the second.
2: Uh... Probably not, unless you want me to talk about my memories of Pink Cadillac. Um, uh,
0: no, I don't really, sorry. I don't think we need those.
2: We're good, we're good. Because <laughs> that movie sucked. Um, it, it would be fun, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, to name a random film that we've probably both seen, but not discuss it ahead of time, and just remember what we can of that movie. Hmm. Um, that would be an ultimately fun thing to do other than talk about actors yeah you know anyway please continue
0: and the second one we're going to talk about is uh tom tools a lesser known character actor i guess compared to jeffrey lewis um he's a very genre specific sort of character actor for the most part mostly showed up in sort of horror movies exploitation films uh He's one of the guys Rob Zombie basically reused in almost all of his films in the last 10 years or so. He was probably best known as playing Otis in Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer along with uh, Michael Rooker. My favorite role of his, I think, is probably, and and here he was probably the best thing in this film as well. He was in Miami Vice playing a uh, white supremacist.
2: Oh, the Michael Mann Miami mm-hmm, Vice? Yeah.
0: Yeah, the movie ad- adaptation of his uh, show, right? right, right, right yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he was probably the best thing in that. Other than other than the shootout, those are basically the two best things in that film. Um, right?
2: Yeah, it's it's again. I'm kind of looking at the list of films that he was in. Uh, he he had a bit role in Dog Day Afternoon. Mm-hmm. Um, he was in Mad Dog and Glory, which is one of those uh, I think underrated character pieces from uh, Bill Murray. Mm-hmm. Um, again, he was in The Rock, uh, Doctor Doolittle, the 1998 yeah. Eddie Murphy vehicle. Um I mean yeah it looks like he's in kind of a lot of stuff. I definitely know this guy's face. I uh do not have any specific memories attached to him. And
0: he so. does a he does a really great job in the uh remake of Night of the Living Dead playing uh playing the uh white bigot who is uh, ultimately correct in in hiding down in the basement.
2: <laughs> right. But uh yeah. As as you know really if you're going to be uh, fighting zombies, listen to listen to the bigoted one. Mm-hmm. That, that's the guy who knows what's going on. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, paranoia and uh, xenophobia really will take you far in the uh, zombie apocalypse. I it, think
0: it, you know. Sadly, it probably would. Um, uh, <laughs> interesting fact about him: he was actually he, he also did a lot of TV work. He was actually considered at one point for uh, the role of Andy Sipowicz in NYPD Blue. Before Dennis,
2: that would have been yeah, Before Dennis, Franz got the role. So, so really, what you're saying is, in an alternate universe, this guy showed his ass on TV a lot. Yeah, probably. <laughs> that is an alternate universe I would uh, like to visit, because there would be less Dennis Franz ass. That's uh... you know like, <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, um, yeah. So anyway, <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, that that image is now sort of burnt into my brain. Um, Sure, but sure. uh so thanks for that Daniel. Yeah. You're done, you're done. <laughs> Just wanted to mention these two cuz they were both sort of favorite character actors of mine. Uh we're we're going to try to pick someone next week who is not
2: dead or at least did not die last yeah. week. Yeah. Like that would be the the goal. Um I have a couple of actors in mind that I'd like to talk about at some point, but I will talk to you about them when we're not on mic mm-hmm. so we can
0: Awesome. But uh, yeah, rest in peace there, gentlemen. Um, Highly enjoyed their work. It's sad to see them go. We're going to get to a couple comments here uh, we've had over the last week or so. Uh, We're actually getting comments, which I'm very impressed with, even if they're just, like, (laughs) personal friends of mine.
2: sock puppets of paul yeah yeah
0: it? no <laughs> um now the albino rhino um made a suggestion of a modern uh movie where we were talking about how sort of the uh, titty comedy has sort of died out in the last little while he mentioned a movie called oak cold from a few years back that has the
2: oh
0: yeah mm, that has all the the drinking the drugs the pranks the kids saving the ski slope from the businessman kind of cliche yeah good
2: call there chad the, that, that is the ski patrol of the uh, 2000s, yeah. I think, you know.
0: Like a lot of these movies, um, they're, they're still made. It's just like they show up once in a while in a blue moon and they show up on direct-to uh, DVD. And a lot of the times they're, like, more ironic than anything else. Like they're like Hot Time Hot Tub Time Machine where, you know, it's an ironic take on that sort of thing.
2: Oh, yes. I uh, was thinking of that of that as we were talking about these. And I'm like, well, Hot Tub Time Machine is kind of the – modern uh, spoof mm. of that um another uh you know not another teen movie would be yeah. another the one that i was kind of thinking about is that sort of like where they're just out and out doing a spoof of the the idea of of these kinds of films um and actually i think i think not another teen movie is actually a pretty good it's actually movie. i actually enjoy it it's, uh-huh. it's
0: fairly funny yeah
2: yeah it's not it's it's not nearly as terrible as a lot of the other like kind of very broad spoofs of the uh, early 2000s. It's not world. those
0: um, epic movies and the, that shit.
2: No, no, no. It, it, it's much more clever than that.
0: Yeah, Yeah. it's actually got jokes. Yeah. Um, uh, two, two comments from my um, friend, uh, Greg, goes by Bylog. He says he really misses the old days of non-PC comedies such as these. I mean, look at Revenge of the Nerds. The main character in the movie technically rapes a girl. Hell, half the shit that happens in these movies would land someone in front of a judge. But nobody complained about that because I don't think society in general was so sensitive. Part of the reason why I don't enjoy 90% of modern movies.
2: Well, and that's something, uh, actually, if we do talk about Revenge of the Nerds, I think that um, I I do have some comments on that uh, particular topic. You know, I think that there is, I, I definitely think, There is an an innocence to this, you know, and I think when we, especially when we talk about some of these films tonight, I think that we can talk about some of those same issues um, that people weren't taking it as seriously. Mm -hmm. Um, At the same time, I think it's really good that we take these more seriously now. Um, (laughs) You know, I do think that, um, you know, there is a difference between uh, healthy adult sexuality being presented uh, in a way that is non-invasive uh, and not um, assaulty.
1: Yeah, not um, not rapey. You know,
2: yeah, yeah. Like like the fact that the uh, lead character, the the uh, protagonist, the good guy of Revenge of the Nerds, uh, just out and out rapes a girl. Yeah, uh, it's a bad thing. I think that's a bad thing. Um, <laughs> uh, the fact that uh, they uh invade, they do a panty raid and then install cameras and then spend the night like you know looking at the girls naked. Uh, I don't think these are the heroes of the film. I think that, you know, this this is a policing... Uh, anyway, um, we'll, we'll get into this, I think, when we talk about yeah, Revenge I of the Nerds. I think we're going uh, to do it. Definitely, I, so. We, we kind of definitely have to talk about that one because I've seen Revenge of the Nerds a lot, and I grew up with that one. Mm-hmm. I think that there are a lot of... I think we really have to talk about that one in an episode yeah. by itself, yeah, that'd like be that idea. one is it, that one is important enough that I think it really does deserve like a full like forty five minutes of discussion. We might so, even
0: um, we might even try to uh, structure that as maybe like the last episode in the
2: series or something like that. I would I would be down for that um, definitely. I, and we could also, we, or we could talk about all four of the nerds. movies. no 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 I no no. no. I don't I don't want to talk about the other ones. <laughs> <laughs> the second one at least has Courtney thorne Smith.
0: Yeah, well, the well the the second one is, like, the tamed-down version of the right. first film, right, yeah.
2: And then, um, by the fourth one, uh, they're basically just following uh, Booger around, you know. Uh. Um, he's the lead of the fourth one, so, you know. Um, How did I miss that? Yeah, anyway. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah.
2: Well, the last two, three and four, were made for TV. They were, like, Fox TV Oh, movies.
0: well, that explains some shit. And, and, yeah. and that sounds even less risque than Married of Children, for fuck's sakes. Like...
2: Yeah it's it's pretty much that level of comedy. Mm. Um yeah but yeah probably even less risqué than that. Uh, but in that same general era so um interesting. <laughs> yeah um there's a there's a lot to be said i could i could speak at some length about the revenge of the nerd series i i have a uh a pretty encyclopedic knowledge of this well
0: uh, well when we do the ep- cinematic well legacy. when we do the episode i'll just let you go with wild abandon on the sequels so uh <laughs> <laughs> um the other the other comment from greg he says you guys might want to check out uh wetlands it's a european sex comedy drama that makes pretty much Every other sex comedy looked tame by comparison, and there is some pretty decent amounts of nudity in it. I think it's currently streaming on Netflix, and I did I did check this one out, and um, basically he was just giving, he wasn't giving it as a recommendation for us to review for the series. He was just saying it was like uh, one to check out at some point because he thought it was interesting. Because it is more of a, of a drama than it is so much a sort of a sex
2: comedy, really. Is it a recent movie? I think it's fairly
0: recent, yeah. From
2: 2013? Yeah. 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 Uh, looks interesting. I'm looking at the Wikipedia page now. <laughs> uh, the first – hold on. The first line of the plot summary on Wikipedia – Eighteen-year-old Helen likes to use vegetables for masturbation. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm down. I'm there. I will see this <laughs> movie. Like that's all you had to say. When the first line of the plot summary is, eighteen-year-old Helen likes to use vegetables for masturbation. I'm sold. I need no more. Yeah. Uh, what drinks. what
0: vegetables? Uh, what size? Uh, are they organically grown or are they uh, GMO or what's going on here?
2: I I don't know. I just I know that I'm I'm down. I'm interested in seeing this film. <laughs>
0: All right. Um, well, <laughs> well. thanks. Thanks for the comments, uh, everybody. Uh, again, definitely encourage comments. Uh, you can go to our uh, you can leave comments, of course, under the YouTube version of this. I do that as sort of a courtesy and also because that's where my real audience still is. So if anyone's going to pick up this podcast, they'll probably see it there first. Um, but if you want to go to the Podbean site, which will be linked, you can find an email address there as well to send direct messages. Uh, and definitely any comments, whether it's criticisms, uh, whether you agree with us, whether you want to make movie review suggestions for future episodes, uh, we're open to anything. So uh, please leave comments. We encourage it.
2: Even if you're telling me I'm a douchebag. I'm
0: exactly. A definitely want to read those You might comments. want to scold Daniel for shaving his beard off. Yeah. Um, that's, that's yeah awesome yeah. Um, so we'll move on to uh, things we've uh, seen in the last week or so, and I believe you have some stuff, Daniel, so I'll let you go first.
2: I did um I think partly because i we've been I've been watching the kind of shitty movies you know for this for this series. I sat down, my wife was out of town, and I you know just have a little bit more time to just kind of goof off on Netflix because I don't really have anything else to do. Uh you yeah, know, hanging out with my wife, uh, that, that's certainly not something I'd like to do anyway. I'd much rather do <laughs> off on Netflix now. I, I do prioritize that over, over playing on Netflix. But I noticed that the uh, Roger Ebert documentary, Life Itself, is now on Netflix oh, yeah. streaming. And uh, I watched it. Uh, Roger Ebert is one of the uh, kind of formative influences in my artistic life basically if you watch the documentary you get a very good sense of who he was he's somebody who um died late 2013 i believe or yeah, early 2014 so, yeah. the documentary is actually directed by a guy named steve james who uh was also the director of uh, hoop dreams oh, yeah. back in 1994 uh which was uh if you haven't seen it uh is a movie that is ostensibly about basketball mm-hmm but it's actually a movie that's kind of about cycles of poverty in Chicago in the late eighties and early nineties. Um, and I don't give a shit about basketball and it's one of my favorite films. So, you <laughs> know, um, life itself, uh, is, you know, a, a heartfelt look at Ebert's life and, uh, and his death because they actually started filming just a few months before he died. Um, you see a lot of the latter period of the, the surgeries, the rehabilitation you see kind of what ebert's life was like in his final days and uh, ebert fully cooperated he was definitely like at the very beginning he was like i want you to show this as it actually is i don't want the sanitized version of this and so you see you know just how tough some things were um but also how much life he still had
0: i gotta say i'm, I'm a big ebert fan as well i especially found like where he started writing extensively on his blog, I, I I followed that stuff pretty much religiously, up until his death. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty pretty raw and brave kind of stuff he was writing about at that point. And he was
2: uh, he was
0: obviously a very much at peace with the fact that he his time was probably very short. I do have I do have qualms with Ebert about some of the some of his opinions on film and stuff like that. But I mean that that should be expected.
2: In, any Any person who wrote reviews, wrote four reviews a week, five reviews a week for 40 something Mm -hmm. years from 67 to basically 40 years. You're going to find a few where, yeah, no, I I disagree with in there. There are certainly uh, it's less the that I agree with everything Ebert wrote as much as uh, his philosophy towards how Mm -hmm. he reviewed films, his uh, ability to talk about these kind of highfalutin ideas, but in plain language. Um is something that I think all of us could could emulate better. Um, especially if you are you know kind of what what I try to bring to this podcast and to discussions of media is is this kind of like more bigger ideas, more kind of you know bring that humanist perspective, that you know philosophical perspective, but also not take it, uh, not try to speak in uh, academic yeah. jargon, and try to actually bring it in a in a kind of populist way. And I think Ebert was the master of that. And uh, the documentary talks a lot about his young life as well in terms of, like, when he was an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. He spent several years as basically a raging alcoholic, um, his early days of the newspaper, talking to a lot of friends and uh, that sort of thing. It's a it's a very um, nuanced look at his life. It doesn't uh, sugarcoat some of the mm-hmm. bad stuff. Um, it's probably a little bit more hagiographic than you would uh, expect uh, uh, than someone who did not know Ebert personally through his life. Um, there are certainly some criticisms of the film that I could make as someone who knows Ebert's career very well, but um, I think it's excellent. It made me want to go and mm. read some Ebert reviews. So, you know, that was... Uh, and go read go read some of his blogs, because uh, you're right, the, the stuff that he wrote in, the, in his later life, um, when he had lost the ability to speak, he, he had lost the ability to speak and used his blog and Twitter as his uh, way of communicating with the world. And I think that's when, you know, the the last act of his life was arguably his greatest. Um, Yeah. You know, and so that's worth mentioning. Um, And then the other thing I watched, which I'm not going to talk too much about because eventually we're going to do a full review of this, is after I watched Life Itself, I wanted to watch just a great movie that I knew Ebert loved. And so I watched Django Unchained. (laughs) (laughs) Because that one is also streaming on uh, Netflix Instant.
0: Mm, Yeah, Um, we're going to be doing... um... At some point we're going to be doing, uh, and I don't know if I'm going to include this in that series or not, but we're going to be doing a Spaghetti Western series at some point in the future, and we're going to be doing one episode where we compare uh, Django Unchained to the original Django, and we might even talk about some of the variations of Django and stuff, because Django is a pretty... Big fucking name in Italian uh, westerns, uh, whether they're actual Django movies or not, and uh,
2: there's a lot to talk about there. So yeah, absolutely, yeah, no, and uh, Django Unchained, I think is a, uh, I'll just say, I think it's a, it's an amazing movie. As a as a white man who grew up in the American South, <laughs> um, that movie speaks to that region and that history in ways that I think very few other films do. And I think that it it is something that uh, most people who talk about that film do not have that background. And that's something that I will uh, definitely talk about when we talk about that film in more detail.
0: Well, I'll say this. I've definitely seen a lot of people, uh, white people who live in the South, were made fairly uncomfortable by that movie. So, I mean... As
2: well they should. Mm.
0: So, uh, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So, uh, I didn't really watch any movies this week. I've been kind of too busy with work and stuff like that. The only thing I did watch was uh, uh, the Daredevil series on Netflix.
2: Oh, awesome. I heard that was
0: really good. It was really good. It basically uses the backdrop of the first Avengers movie, the aftermath of that, to set up the series. So, there's all this, you know cosmic superhero stuff going on in the background but this takes it to a grounded level with more realistic superheroes and villains who don't have you know extraordinary superpowers and it's about their personal stories and stuff like that it, it feels like uh batman year one almost in a way it, it's it sort of sort of sets out that way because daredevil doesn't have his costume till the end of the series he makes mistakes he's inexperienced he's not the toughest guy out there like he can get his ass whipped, and he often does, um, and I really enjoyed it. Vincent D'Onofrio is the fucking kingpin? Holy fuck, is that a great
2: character. It's fucking fantastic. Vincent D'Onofrio does not get nearly enough credit for how good an actor he is. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, I think today we kind of at least for me when I think Vincent D'Onofrio I think Law and Order Criminal Intent because I watched that show pretty, pretty regularly until it started to really suck. <laughs> Um <laughs> uh you know the first the first like three or four years of that are actually quite good um and then it started to really suck, so I kind of tuned out at that point but no D'Onofrio uh really i mean you see it in a lot of uh his work D'Onofrio would be an actor we should we should cover yeah. on that uh segment but then
0: he he does but a on. great job like what are the more fully fleshed out three dimensional bad guys you're gonna see on screen um one you can actually you can actually sort of feel sorry for and you can you can sort of get why he is the way he is and it works really really well uh i, I can't wait actually till season two i was very very impressed with it like it, it it solves a lot of the sort of more popcorn stuff that goes on in some of the marvel movies that i dislike a little bit it, it's much more grounded and realistic so i like that quite a bit and uh, i I really look forward to like just great acting across the board uh the guy who plays uh Uh, daredevil's best friend uh, foggy nelson he actually played uh, one of the stoner guys in idle hands if you remember that movie (laughs) yeah he is so fucking good uh awesome just highly recommended series i know everyone is saying it's fucking great uh but there's a reason for it it is fucking great it's not one of these overhyped things it's actually really really great series so Highly recommended.
2: As long as we're talking about Netflix series, very briefly, I, I did see a little bit of the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt show, okay. um, which is the kind of uh, Ellie Klemper, uh comedy, which Netflix produced. And it's the, the girl who was uh, trapped in a bunker with a crazy religious oh, yeah. cult for like 15 years or something and then came up. Um, my wife was kind of watching through that and I saw a little bit of that. Um, that was a really kind of cute show. Um, it sounds like Netflix is really kind of getting on the ball in terms of actually producing original content that is worth watching and that works for their model because I don't think Netflix should try to be HBO. I think Netflix should try to yeah, be they're... Netflix and you know, the, the market for people that will buy Netflix, you know, that will keep a subscription for Netflix is a different model than the people that want to have. Yeah, Cause HBO, you know you what? Know.
0: One of the shows they got in production, they have a, they have a, they have a, New Full House series.
2: That one keeps. I keep hearing rumors that that is either uh, canceled or coming back, or then it, then people are saying it's canceled. And I'll I'll believe yeah. that one when I see it. But you know, there's such a like. You know, you got to think. Like I was 10 years old when that show was on. You know, and so now the people who are who are in their 30s and are like you know have nostalgia for you <laughs> know the uh, travails of uh, you know yeah. the Tanner family.
0: The, uh, the only you the know, only thing I remember yeah. from that, that entire series was one episode where I think it was uh, Bob Saget's character had this like imagine like had this dream of the future. Uh, the character of Kimmy Gibbler turned into this like really really hot chick in her twenties. So I want to I want to I want to see if Kimmy what? Gibbler comes back and if she's actually that hot now. <laughs> <laughs>
2: What I'd really like to see is if, if we're going to do that, I want Bob Saget to play his normal foul-mouthed be awesome, that we yeah. know from real life. <laughs> you know, Dave Coulier, John Stamos. I mean, you know, there, there were some really talented people. It, it would be interesting to bring that back and just see. But, I, you know, I do tend to uh, kind of think that uh, revisits of this stuff that's, like, purely based on... Uh, nostalgia, like mm-hmm. nostalgia for nostalgia's sake, is usually a yeah. negative thing. I, I tend to just, you know, I don't like being kind of jerked around for like, you know, if you loved Full House growing up, you know, that's not a reason to bring it back now. Um, another kind of version of that is the uh, the show Boy Meets World, which oh, was kind of yeah. in that same genre, that TJF show, with Ben Savage. Yeah. They have made a show called Girl Meets World, which is Ben, uh, or uh, yeah, it's the Boy Meets World, and then his wife, Panga, yeah. who is Daniel Fishel. They have they're married, and they have a daughter, and it's their daughter getting into wacky hijinks in, uh, you know, it's like a Disney Channel show mm. or something. And I watched a little bit of that, just enough to kind of say, okay, I've seen a little bit of that. Boy, it just borrows from that Boy Meets World formula just completely. It's just like replaced the. Teacher character, and now it's uh, Ben Savage is playing the, the yeah, teacher, well, you know, and his daughter is in I think you know?
0: the real audience for these shows are people who want to make fun of them. I think that's the real audience at this point.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think there's that, and I, you know, I'm, I don't know, I if that's your thing, that's fine. I think that we're just kind of in that era where suddenly we're just remaking all this stuff from the 80s, and we're trying to bring stuff back. It's, you know, it's the same impulse that I, you know, the, the Star Wars uh, Force Awakens teaser trailer came out this week everybody on my fucking facebook feed is yeah Um... and to me it's like i mean the fact that like you see han solo and yeah harrison ford like wearing the costume again i get why that can matter to you but i'm like we haven't seen anything yet except harrison ford who i'm sorry has not given a good performance in a movie Mm. for 20 years i mean that's Pretty much literally true at this point (laughs) who has who has been phoning it in for decades now white-haired harrison ford does not look like han solo he looks like harrison ford i literally saw that shot and thought this looks like a conan o'brien sketch (laughs) like this doesn't you know this does this looks like something harrison ford Uh came on to conan o'brien and they filmed that like that's what it looks like to me and you know if the new star wars movie comes out and I'm going to see it opening weekend, of course, because everybody's going to see it opening weekend. If it comes out and it's kind of a story about these new characters and it's like a compelling and interesting story, and oh, there's also a little bit of the nostalgia stuff and you see like Luke Skywalker kind of get to be a badass in a brief scene or something, I'm down with that. But if it becomes just an excuse to jerk off on the screen about how much you loved Star Wars when you were four years old, I don't care. So anyway, extended uh, discussion about nostalgia in... uh, yeah tv and movies so yay (laughs) this is kind of what we do sometimes
0: yeah no problem with that
2: speaking Uh, of nostalgia shall we move on to malibu bikini shop we should uh malibu bikini
0: shop from 1986 written and directed by david warcher or wetcher perhaps wetcher yeah it stars dave uh michael david wright who went on to do nothing as alan uh And uh, also Bruce Greenwood, who went on to do a shitload of stuff, including he's Captain Pike in the, uh, Star, in the, in the Star-, uh, Star Star Trek Mo- yep. Star Trek movies. Yeah, uh, as Todd. And these are basically two brothers. Uh, Alan is the uptight, repressed Republican uh, capitalist. Todd is the more uh, slackerish, uh, liberal, free free will surfer guy. Um, yep. They both get uh shares in the malibu bikini shop which 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 was owned by their late aunt uh alan is looking to you know get into business he's looking to expand his portfolio or whatever the fuck and marry this uh shrill spoiled brat and marry into this rich family uh he doesn't really want to do it but it sort of seems like it's the uh thing to do, you know, it's like, it's just, oh, that's how my life should turn out, so I'll probably just do this and do that. Of course, Todd wants to run the Malibu Bikini Shop. Alan just wants to sell it to make a little bit of money. It also has Deborah Blee as Jane. She's the shrill rich girl. Uh, She's notable because she is uh, sort of a minor sort of titty comedy star. She's been in, she was in several films, another one we're going to talk about tonight, actually, and uh, she's probably most well-known as the sort of uh, shy nerd girl in the beach girls who eventually it, it's that it's that old cliche of you know as well as long as she's wearing glasses she's not hot but as soon as she takes her glasses right. off she's hot and
2: <laughs> uh, another another trope that they made fun of in another team movie so yeah. you know there you go yeah. my I, I don't want to run through
0: all the cast here but my favorite cast member on this is frank nelson as richard j remington uh, well-known voice <laughs> nice. actor from the Hanna-Barbera, uh, cartoons. He was, uh, homaged, uh, in the Simpsons, uh, at least twice. He's that guy who goes,
2: oh, he's in the Simpsons a lot. Like, yeah. I, I mean that, that trope, like to me, I listen to that voice and I think of the Simpsons now, like, you know, it's funny that they ever played this trope straight to me. It's <laughs> such a like Simpsons reference for me now, you know,
0: well, yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> yes. Fucking loved it, and this was actually, I think, one of his last, if not last, roles. He died of cancer that very year that this movie was released. So, sadly enough, but he was, <laughs> well, he was but he was like in his seventies or eighties at this point. So, right, you know, yeah.
2: But- so, all right. So, the Malibu Bikini Shop. This is uh, one that when I was first thinking about doing this series, I said, Well, "This is one we have to cover. Like, this is a, this is a must cover." And the reason for that for me is that I grew up with this thing. Like I saw this probably for the first time when I was maybe ten years old. Um, I have seen this movie. I mean, it, we had like we had HBO as a kid, mm-hmm. and so we would record movies onto VHS tapes. Ask your parents, kids, you know, onto VHS yeah. tapes. So there'd be like three movies on a tape because they were like six hours long, and so you could get like three movies on it if you if you did it in the in the low quality. Um, and so this was a movie that I I mean I have literally seen this movie probably like 50 times in my life. <laughs> Um, but I haven't seen it in like 20 years. So I was like, when, when I think of these kinds of movies, this is this is like one of those on the list. And uh, this really gave me the excuse to sit down and watch it again, because now it's all in like, you know, pretty decent quality on YouTube for free. Mm-hmm. You can just sit and watch yeah. it boy is this such the movie i remember and such not the movie i remember at the same time (laughs) i think it's uh you mentioned deborah blee uh as the as the kind of spoiled brat jane Mm -hmm. and i think it it really speaks to her uh talent that she is the kind of uh moving just jumping ahead slightly she's kind of the sex pot love interest in hamburger the motion picture Mm -hmm. And kind of the annoying, uh, you know, just kind of shrill bitch here. Spoiled brat. Mm-hmm. And yet you, she's believable in both roles. Oh, no, she was a good um, actor. In fact, I think I think she was, for me, the best thing about this film. Like, watching it again, you know, kind of as an adult. And I think it's also something to be said for her uh, acting that, uh, as a kid seeing this, and then as a, as a teenager, kind of a young teenager seeing this, I never processed her as hot. Like, that's how annoying yeah, she is. Yeah, you never... And yet she is obviously completely gorgeous, like the entire and, movie. And, you know? and uh, so.
0: Double d breasts as well. Like, the, the, the yes. movie I mentioned, The Beach Girls, that basically centered around... When was she gonna lighten up and actually show her tits? Like that's 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 exactly what the movie <laughs> was about. Right?
2: Well, well, let's let's not spoil the suspense here. <laughs> but um, I haven't seen the Beach Girls, but I I think I'm gonna have to visit that one um at, at some point. I'm I'm gonna get, go through and look at this woman's career just because I think uh I'm actually interested now like watching this movie again. Like that's actually uh, a kind of unbelievable performance yeah. in, a, in a movie this um cheesy. Looking at this again now, it's kind of amazing how much uh, I like how much subtext there is, and yet how little subtext <laughs> there is. You know, there is there is. It's kind of about business, mm-hmm. and it's kind of about like how you run a business. You know, you can kind of view the Todd character as this kind of beach bomb the way that the uh, the, the other characters in the movie. But he's a better businessman, like as what we see on screen, than Alan is. Just because he's the one who actually kind of understands, like this is how you drum up business in this yeah, beach well, town. he knows you know? what people want, um, right? Like, he... Right, he, he knows what people want. I mean, he he's the one who who gets oh. it, uh, and you know they kind of treat him as the loser, and you know he is kind of creep women's uh, uh, changing rooms mm-hmm. in the bikini shop and that sort of thing. But I, I think you know, arguably, if you if you want to view this film in a in a subtextual way. You, you get that, like, he has a point. You know, this isn't just Alan learning to loosen up. This is, you know, uh, Todd finding his purpose mm-hmm. in life is to be this bikini shop owner and probably will run the business better than either Ida, the, the original owner of the bikini shop, or uh, Alan would have yeah. run it themselves. So, uh, you know, the more I think about the numbers in this film, you know, because they, they, they end up losing the, the bikini shop for a while, um, they have to get a certain dollar amount of money, um, yeah, $6,000 $6, they have to get. And, you know, you do an inflation calculator and, and basically I, I, I sat down and I did some numbers <laughs> on this, you know, just to let you know. I'm watching the film and I'm like, I have to just look at like, um, so you, so I put it into an inflation calculator just to kind of get a feel for like in mm-hmm. 2015. Uh, basically just double all the values. Like that's that's pretty much the, so $6,000 then is $12,000 now. I would find it amazing that like $12,000 in two weeks is like an amount of money that is just impossible for these people to raise with a functioning business, you know? And then they, they're like, Oh, we got to throw the big party. And so they're essentially not running the store Mm -hmm. for two weeks when it's like, really, if you just like kept the business going, your revenue, you know, if you're, if it's literally that much of a difference your revenue for two weeks is going to probably be able to pay for this. (laughs) Like, you know, it feels like such a, uh, ridiculous manufacturer thing like it, it is kind of one of those um like in the uh the action movie when it's like oh we have uh 30 seconds yeah. to disarm the bomb and like four minutes yeah. pass you know and you know you're kind of like no no you're <laughs> all dead now you know, that, that's sort of the same thing i was feeling um when, when a movie when a movie like this makes me want to do math it's either a good thing or a very bad thing and i don't yeah. know which but, it is
0: but they do sort of imply that um the business was losing money. Like it was kind of in debt. Like it, it was it, right. it, it, it the, the the aunt that owned it was spending all the money on extra, extravagant shit, and she was just throwing parties every night at the business more oh, than anything else. Oh no,
2: this thing is like hemorrhaging money. There, there's no question yeah. that that the that the shop is shown. You know, we are told over and over again how much money this thing has lost because mm. Ida is just throwing parties all the time and all that sort of thing. But you also, like, see Todd is able to get a giant crowd of people on 15 minutes notice for this, like, uh, bikini contest, the suntan contest, <laughs> the, uh, the best tan contest. Um, he's got an army of people who will go and like build this giant obstacle course for the, for the end of the movie. There's clearly like this devoted, you know, fan base for this shop. Every time we see the shop, it's filled with people. I mean, you know, this this is, you know, it's like you, you bring like anybody with a, any sense of business acumen to actually run the, the business. This thing is making money hand over fist, you there, know.
0: There is a um, devoted clientele of beach bum perverts who will do anything to get five minutes in the two way mirrors in the back of the shop so they can watch the changing rooms. Uh, yeah, this this is before the internet, Lee. Like, just, yeah. <laughs> just keep
2: that in mind. You know? <laughs> it was nineteen eighty six.
0: Um, yeah, and and uh, there seems to be an ex- extravagant amount of uh, nubile young women in Malibu who were just itching for having a a bikini shop where they could show up and basically try on bikinis for hours upon hours. Um, the, The opening montage of this film is, like, there's very little nudity in it, but it is explicitly shots of women basically adjusting bikini bottoms and bikini t- bikini tops like <laughs> yeah,
2: this this is uh this is you know a few years later baywatch would just kind of discover this formula mm. of, of basically you can just film young ladies in skimpy clothing and as long as you're not showing nudity and you don't have a standards and practices department to answer to people will show up you know right. that's just it, it feels like it, it exists in this bygone era in a you know in a way because it is so innocent about some of that stuff where where you're not seeing um uh, just as an example um i was thinking about this uh, again and i'm going to go fully high art on you uh, very briefly right. um we mentioned inherent vice uh a couple of times in the last few weeks and you got to think you know the kind of fictionalized area that inherent vice takes place in um which is where Pinchon actually lives uh, and it's very autobiographical so that world is very new, is very real, even though it's kind of fictionalized. I kind of looked it up. Like Pinchon grew up or like lived in this area. He didn't grow up here, but he, he um, in 1971 or so, when Inherent Vices set,
1: mm-hmm.
2: Pinchon lived like 10 minutes drive from Malibu. Like that's essentially <laughs> where this town is. And so you, you're kind of talking about the same subculture. But you're talking about it like 15 years apart. I find it interesting that uh, in a way you could view you know, this kind of Reagan Republican uh, coming in to, to buy out the the bikini shops as a, you know, that that kind of the establishment taking over this thing that was kind of countercultural mm-hmm. in 1971. You can see, like, um, everybody waking up from the uh, drug-fueled haze that was the 70s and deciding, oh, we have to kind of buy these collared shirts and, um, and run this like a business all of a sudden. Also, you know, it's sort of one of those things of uh, – when you when you hear like oh she's a party girl and she's running the business and and just throwing parties all the time and hemorrhaging money, you know for me I'm just like again in the backstory I'm sitting and going well clearly this is just a drug laundering operation you know <laughs> and she makes it lose money as a as a tax write off or something yeah. like I keep thinking there's like a dark and gritty version of this film that would be just as fascinating as the. uh the tits and ass on display, um, which is uh, ample and nubile, mm-hmm. by the way. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, a
0: lot of real ones, too, which is appreciated. Well,
2: I I enjoyed uh, revisiting this film, mm. honestly. I, you know, it is one where, you know, not having seen it in so long, but having seen it so many times as a kid, like, every time I, I kept, oh, I remember that moment. And then, like, suddenly it would all just come flashing back to me. It was a very interesting viewing experience. Yeah. Um, the one thing that surprised the shit out of me when I watched this, like, the one moment... Or sequence, mm-hmm. is when it just goes straight on music video from. There's like
0: two sequences where it does that. It's like the the final act of the film is basically like two music videos, and then that obstacle course thing. And <laughs> right,
1: right. <laughs> yeah,
0: and I was like, oh my god, this is like a bad like uh, Motley Crue video. It's, it's
2: like a a rip off of a Durandor. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, I kept thinking of especially the bit where it's like the 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 war montage thing, you know, and it's, it, it, I'm like, is this, is this Rio? Is this like a ripoff of Rio? <laughs> you know, Duran Duran. Um, anyway, uh, I don't know. Like I, I just, this is probably something if I sat down and took notes, I could probably like talk about this for an hour. There's, there's just a lot of, you know, talking about Southern California in 1986, mm-hmm. you know, it feels very much of that era, um, in in a very um, strange way. Not least because the guy who buys the shop is a, a new age yeah. like healer, guy, you know, like this like this uh, you know a cult in another name, you know, sort of. Sort I of had idea. to uh,
0: I had to actually check his. Uh... Credits on uh, IMDb because I was convinced for like the first five minutes that it was Paul Rubens.
2: Oh, that would have been awesome.
0: <laughs> I was like, oh my god, is Paul Rubens in this fucking film? Because that looks a lot like Paul Rubens to me know like does. a wig or something. And then I checked, it's like, oh no, some other guy. Oh, fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, um, it's enjoyable, it's fun, it's lighthearted. Um, it's actually got some good performances. Like, again, I, I mentioned Frank Nelson. I just loved every time he was on the screen. He just. He, he he knew what he knew he knew what he was in and he knew how to play it and
2: uh, yeah no he he's really good I I, I was uh, I was a big fan um did you notice I don't it sounded like a lot of his dialogue and also Bruce Greenwood's dialogue for that matter was eighty yard in later
0: it in fact um, it might have been because uh I'll notice like uh, Bruce Greenwood's stuff like it, the pitch will change quite a bit when he's talking like sometimes he'll be talking and it's like young Bruce Greenwood. And then other times it sounds like Bruce Greenwood in a fucking sound studio with too many cigarettes and coffee in the morning, you right. know. And I'm like, oh my god, it's Christopher Pike talking all of a sudden.
2: <laughs> I, uh, I, you, there are lots of moments, in particular with Bruce Greenwood, where like he'd be walking down the stairs and the camera's like, kind of at the top of the stairs mm-hmm. so you can't really see his mouth move. And then he has some funny line that's just thrown in. Yeah. And I kept thinking, like, the, the director just said, oh, we'll just throw a line in right here, you know, you're, you're, tell a joke. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, you know, it, it felt very much that way, where they're just, we need we need more Todd in this movie. There's not enough Todd in this yeah, movie.
0: Yeah, he's, you know? he's, um, uh, well, I mean, I think there's a reason why Bruce Greenwood went on to a big career, and Michael David Wright didn't, because Michael David Wright is wooden as fuck. Like, he, he really is.
2: He, I was, uh, um, I was sitting, like, next to my wife on the couch, and, uh, I was like, "Oh, I gotta watch the last like 15 minutes of this before I go podcast." And uh, you want to just watch the last few minutes with me? And so, like, kind of picking up right about the time that uh, Jane tears the bikini at the end, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, which is such a such a moment. But um, you know, and she's watching the end of it, and uh, she had no problem understanding exactly what was going on. Mm-hmm. She has not seen this film. Um, we we got to uh, the end, and she's like, "So, so, I mean, what?" And I said, you want to see the beginning?" And so we watched like the first like ten or fifteen minutes, and she she just, I mean, she was just like, "Well, that's the movie," you know. I'm yeah. like, "I grew up on this movie," like I literally saw this movie fifty times growing up and she's like, I understand you you're my husband, I get it. <laughs> it was you know, it's just one of those things. Um don't judge me. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, she's just I mean she understands like, no, I, I get exactly why you are the way you are. Yeah. Like, you know if this is the film that you are ten years old, at ten years old, I was watching this movie like weekly. Yeah. You know? Um Anyway, no, it's it's a lot of fun. Uh,
0: um, if anyone has, I don't know if you've seen Hard Bodies. Have you have you ever seen that film?
2: I've not seen the uh, the whole film, but I've seen um, that's uh, you know a little bit of it here. That, and there. That's a good one to pair for this one because
0: I think this one gives it a little bit of a run for its money for the most women in, in bikinis and the most nudity, just gratuitous gratuitously, gratuitously shown in a film. Very very similar films in a lot of ways in in that regard. It's like just very carefree. Uh, nudity and women rock walk, walking around in bikinis, and a sort of sort of a similar tone as well. Very, very similar. So,
2: it's interesting how this uh, film does kind of come out of that uh, era in which the like the bikini like contest mm-hmm. and the wet t shirt contest was a just this cultural touchstone in a way. Like, like oh, I remember like as as late as like the early nineties. You know, MTV would air like they do a whole like spring break. Yeah week and they'd have like bikini contests and stuff like all the time you know it was just playing constantly and uh, you know like the, the Hawaiian Tropic Contest would be on late night USA you know they would they would do like the the beauty pageant with the girls in bikinis and that sort of thing and it's interesting how right about 1995-96 when the internet became something that people had yeah. access to all that went away it's it's really <laughs> fascinating how um, there really is that like sharp dividing line but you know I, I remember like just googling some of these titles that I remembered you know some of these mm-hmm. some of these like bikini videos and stuff that I'd watched as a you know kind of a young teenager I found a forum where where there are a bunch of you know kind of older guys who are you know probably like my age. I mean, I did this like several years ago, but you know clearly a bunch of guys in their forties who remembered watching these things yeah. when they were you know twenty. And uh, they're you know like oh, there's a clip from this you know like bikini show from nineteen. You can go watch it and it's got some great action in it. And people remember this with nostalgia. I, yeah. I have a I have a deep appreciation for the fact that you know there are a bunch of models, there are a bunch of young ladies who got paid a few bucks to come in and and be sexy for a camera and maybe take the tops off and everybody got paid and I don't, you know, I hope nobody got like hurt or abused or anything making this film, but um, it's a lot of fun and it's, it's worth a visit, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And you don't have to over-intellectualize it. Mm -hmm. I just, um, you know, um but i could keep going there there's a lot there's a lot i could talk about with this film but i think i think i'm done all right you know Um, yeah um... i apologize i I won't talk about the other two as much because this one just such a seminal moment in my life to (laughs) revisit this film now um
0: you know oh shit yeah
2: seminal in more ways than one uh, <laughs> you know, oh.
0: yeah the fluid kind i get it um
2: the fl- the fluid kind, yes.
0: <laughs> all right so we'll uh, move on um i think we both sort of recommend uh, malibu bikini shop if you're interested in seeing that sort of film uh it's, it's definitely a lot of fun we're gonna move on now to 1984 with hot dog the movie directed by peter markle uh written by mark uh mike marvin uh, it stars a few big names that have gone on to do some stuff and a few people have just dropped off the face the earth. David Naughton is Dan. He was in American Werewolf in London.
2: <laughs> Patrick
0: <laughs> Hauser is Harkin, who has really done nothing since this film. Tracy Smith is Sonny, who was also in uh, Bachelor Party. And uh, that's pretty much her only credits other than, I think, like Perry Mason TV series or something like that. (laughs) We have Frank Coppola as Squirrel, uh, one of the more prominent characters in this film. (laughs) And James Sato as Kendo, um, who actually went on to do quite a bit of things. He's actually the uh, Shredder in the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film. Really? Yeah. That's
2: awesome. Yeah. That is awesome.
0: And probably the biggest name in this is Shannon Tweed as Sylvia Fonda. Um, And I think everyone knows what she's gone on to do, which is kind of gross, but you know. (laughs) So this is a this is a skiing movie, Hot Dog the movie. Should give it away if anyone knows any sort of skiing terminology at all. Hot dogging is basically referring to doing tricks and you know basically being a really good skier. I, I definitely picked this one because of our discussion with uh, Ski Patrol in the, uh, the last episode. It's like oh we got to talk about Hot Dog. Um, this is probably the quintessential ski exploitation film from the '80s. Uh, it is definitely the best made one I've ever seen. It basically involves Patrick Hauser's character, Harkin. He's going to these uh, sort of world championship at this ski resort. Um, he's the young farmer from Idaho who has dreams of making it big. And so he sort of meets up with Tracy Smith's character, uh, Sunny. Um, she's sort of just hitchhiking across the country, apparently. They sort of hit it off. There, there's obviously this implied... Uh, Romantic thing going on between them, although they're they're trying to play it off as being like sort of a casual relationship at best. They they go to the uh, resort, they meet up with the sort of uh, the the ski rats who are the regulars there, who basically they probably have no other lives other than hanging around and skiing, and the the biggest thing in their life is this event when it comes up every year. Uh, they run into the villain of the film, John Patrick uh, Ruger, as Rudy. He's this Austrian... They basically call him a Nazi in the film. <laughs> they have no problem saying right. that. Uh, he's this arrogant uh, ski guy who's like really, really good and hates all Americans. And, you know, so it's that typical sort of setup. And then basically it's uh, the conflict with the sort of uh, American ski rats against the Austrians and their various struggles together, as well as the romance angle between... Uh, Harkin and Sonny and um, Shannon Tweed uh, is sort of thrown in there as sort of a third person and sort of a love triangle kind of thing because she's this sort of rich sex pot who wants to sleep with all the new up-and-coming skiers every year so um, that's that's sort of where we're set at with this film. Um, I'll go to you Daniel for your First impressions
2: on this one? Sure, uh, and I'll be I'll be much briefer on this one. I, I apologize. I know I, I spent a little bit long on Malibu Bikini Shop, but you know this this was the only one that I had not seen before mm-hmm. um, of the of the ones we've covered so far. I uh, don't know how I missed it. Uh, I, I don't think I'd seen a single frame of this before sitting down and watching it um, so I, I came to this one fresh probably the uh, thing that surprised me the most is how it's very uh, much kind of cut into thirds uh, the first third of this film is kind of the two main characters meet David Naughton and uh, the girl uh, Sonny meet yeah um, and it kind of feels like a, a kind of small scale like character drama like mm-hmm. you know not not as well acted as, as like one of the like one of the good ones. But you know, you kind of see, oh, they're kind of forced together. They're kind of, you know, she's a hitchhiker. He picks her up. He's got the skis in the back. She's like, what the fuck's going on? You know, it's it's kind of this uh, this weird kind of meeting of of disparate characters who kind of come to find a relationship together, mm-hmm. which I kind of appreciated. Um, it feels very small scale. It feels very kind of intimate. It feels kind of um, I don't want to say gritty, but it but it definitely has this kind of like lived in quality. You know, it almost feels like an independent drama. You know, sort yeah. of thing. Um, they do have this, uh, kind of, uh, scene where they end up, uh, against, against their will in the kind of love seat, the, 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 uh, the, um, you know, the, the erotic hotel room sort of thing towards the beginning, uh, the honeymoon suite, which is, uh, one of those tropes that's just like, you don't see that anymore, but you saw it all the time in the eighties and and early nineties, you know, when the two people who aren't, don't really like each other end up in the, like you know, vibrating bedroom, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, sort of thing. And, you know, I thought it was fairly well played because they do kind of act like people that, you know, okay, it doesn't feel like it's this kind of goofy, cheesy thing um, in the way that uh, the other two films that we talk about, you know, are, are very broad and cartoonish, mm-hmm. particularly when we get to Hamburger.
1: Yeah.
2: Very cartoonish. Um, not necessarily a bad thing, but coming after, like, how I watched Hamburger first and then I watched this uh. one, um, this feels like a... a uh, a very restrained drama compared to uh, the other two films that we we're discussing tonight. Um, then you move on into kind of some some wacky hijinks, some um, uh, some some drugs and mm-hmm. some some alcohol and some playing of hockey without skates. I don't know if that's <laughs> the thing you do in Canada, but uh, you know, okay, I don't play hockey, so I don't know. Um, and then you get a bunch of ski footage at the end, and you mm-hmm. throw a little some tits in the in the middle and some. Uh, some sex stuff but uh very little actual like kind of sexual content in this it's much more about like and then there's some awesome skiing mm-hmm. for, for a while um yeah but... i did skip the uh wet t-shirt contest which is the highlight of the film obviously <laughs> um but other than that I, that's kind of all i have to say about this film uh unless uh, you jog my memory on something
0: but yeah it, it, it very much is it, it relies actually heavily on the skiing footage um that's because of mike marvin who uh, before this was basically, he did he basically did second unit directing on this film where he filmed all the ski footage. That's where he sort of made his bones in the industry. He was he got noticed for doing like films about like skiing and stuff like that. Before that, he was like a folk singer. Uh, in sort of the John Denver mold, which might explain why <laughs> ha- Harkin has that moment <laughs> My... with the
2: guitar. Oh, God. Yeah, no, it just, might. Very well, Which is well, absolutely
0: yeah. terrible, but hilarious at the same time. Um, and, yeah, so it, this has, without a doubt, like I mentioned in the last episode, how all these ski movies generally have really good ski footage. This has, without a doubt, the best film ski footage I've seen in any of these movies. Like, it's just exceptionally done and I don't like ski footage I don't like skiing but I still watched it and I was like wow that's really fucking impressive it looks really good the film uh there was some money behind this film I I've seen conflicting reports on what the budget was it was around 16 million I think and I think it I think it made 20 million was the highest estimate I saw um it did make some money
2: I mean 16 million in 1984 would make it really i mean today we don't think of that as that's nothing but in in 84 that would have been a really pricey film
0: Mm -hmm. Um, so especially for that genre um the the movie
2: to be in comparison i think superman 2 cost something like 22 million or something like that you know
0: yeah um i I i don't know if i can trust the uh The figures from uh, internet movie database because sometimes they get kind of wonky weird source
2: maybe that's adjusted for inflation
0: maybe who knows but um, yeah there's this sort of has the um, this doesn't follow quite the uh rich developer trying to take over the place uh thing this is much more about the competition the the sort of american group well not the american group but the you know the regulars around the ski (laughs) thing are all you know stereotypes you got the sort of the New Wave punk rocker guy who's got his headphones on all the time and doesn't hear anybody. You've got the token Japanese guy... Who uh, doesn't speak English? Well, he does speak English, but he speaks Japanese to all the women, so he can say lewd things to them, and they won't understand it. And then you've got Squirrel, who is about two thirds date rapist and one third a guy who should be on a beach somewhere surfing instead of skiing. And there's a couple other characters in the group, but you don't see them hardly at all. They got like maybe two lines each, and. Uh, it, it basically focuses on the characters I mentioned. I, I thought uh, David Naughton did an okay job as Dan, he's sort of the old pro at the at the resort, you know, who's more interested in drinking than doing anything else. Um, yep. I, I enjoyed the characters, I enjoyed the acting. Uh, even Shannon Tweed was pretty good in this one, it's not that, like she had to play a in-depth character or anything like that, but she was pretty good for what she was doing. I, I sort of uh <laughs> I should go back and mention that there is a lot of like semi date rape stuff going on in this film. Like uh there's a lot of like implied roofies being put in drinks <laughs> in
2: I mean instances. I mean there's a moment where like they, they make a drink for this girl who's mm-hmm. just like, Oh, I just want a drink. I don't want something not too not too heavy, and he basically pours like eight different kinds of alcohol into mm-hmm. a glass and hands her this giant glass, and she chugs it and then collapses, which is one thing, and then the line is like, yeah, it's there's, something like, oh, yeah. There's I, a girl I, I, I can I... take advantage of. Exactly, yes. and I'm like, oh, my God, that's, <laughs> I mean, wow. Yeah. And it's that sort of thing to where, yes, yes, it was 1984, and we kind of had a boys will be boys attitude towards yeah. that in 1984, but we really shouldn't have. Like, yeah. that's a bad thing,
0: you but, know? But it, um, at, the, at the very least, uh, David Naughton said, squirrel, like, no, Squirrel. Oh, yeah, yeah. Don't rape this woman, Squirrel. Come on, guy.
2: <laughs> Come on. Dude. Oh, you, you naughty rapist, you. <laughs> oh. You wascally wabbit. Yeah. Wascally rapist! Yeah, that's. Wow. <laughs> there's there's a lot of. There's a lot of, <sighs> like. Time
0: of night. There's a lot of, like, cute 80s racism in this film, like, with the, the Japanese character, but uh, especially funny when they get to the final uh, part of the film like they have all these competitions with the, with the austrians uh the austrians win a couple they win a couple in the end it's implied that the sort of the event has been rigged from the get go because uh the people who run the event want tv ratings with the austrians and stuff so you get the sort of moral victory in the final thing with the chinese downhill and the japanese characters like what the fuck is chinese downhill <laughs> right <laughs> but uh yeah, yeah.
2: The the line or the, the kind of um backstory here that it's like they're they're trying to get the international audience to pay attention to i mean there is a certain degree to which i kind of appreciate the this is this tiny tiny subculture that these handful of people take really really seriously Mm -hmm. and that nobody else really cares about except for like oh there's this group in austria that really gives a shit what's going on here and we want to appease them there is this sort of you know you don't get the sense of like um this is you Something millions of people are tuning in, like this guy's got endorsement deals and shit riding on it. It it really is just like, oh yeah, it's this trophy that like eight people in the world really care about. Um and we're gonna take it really, really seriously. Um which is kind of how a lot of like um sportsmen kind of take their sports, I think, you know.
3: Yeah.
2: Um it's realistic in this strange way. And that's that's kind of the the kind of where I I come off with this, is that it does have there there is this kind of grounded dramatic element to this that helps to sell it. I mean, even, you know, I mentioned the the wet t-shirt contest, you know it takes place in a dingy bar and it looks like it takes place in a dingy bar and the patrons are the exact kind of people that you would expect to be in this shitty little ski bum bar <laughs> at the, and the uh, person running the wet t-shirt contest kind of uh, forces women to partake in the to, to um, be in the contest uh, sort and... of vaguely not willingly on their part, which is uh, also I think realistic for the time. Like, um, yeah, no, it, it felt uh, very uh, grounded to me, and that's that's it was surprising to me how grounded this felt.
0: And would you like to know who the MC of that wet teacher contest was?
2: I bet you're gonna tell me.
0: That is Sandy Hackett, son of Buddy Hackett. Wow. And he shows up in the next film we're gonna review as well. So awesome. there's another there's another connection, but um. I actually really like this. This is one, this is like for you, uh, you say Malibu Bikini Shop. That's one you watch tons and tons of times. This was like the one I watched tons and tons of times growing up. I never get bored watching it for some fucking reason. I don't know why. I hate skiing, but I still watch it. Yes, it's not as quite tit-filled and raunchy as some of these films, but there is an ample amount. Uh, You know, you see Shannon Tweed. There's another Playboy playmate, Crystal Smith, at the beginning there, the one in the hot Mm -hmm. tub who
2: comes to the counter of the hotel. Who That's a great moment, by the way. And again, <laughs> like, you can buy in 1984, the owner of a, uh, you know, does not give a fuck, mm-hmm. is uh, basically having sex in a hot tub, this annoying guy comes up, and she's just completely like, yeah, fuck you, whatever. Take, well, she might. She's,
0: she's outright propositioning uh, Harkin as well. She's like, "Oh, you're you're freestyler, are you or whatever?" Yeah. Oh,
2: you want to come join? Yeah we're, yeah, we're I'm down with it. You know, you definitely. Um, you know, again, it feels like a realized world with realized characters, mm-hmm. and, and you know, it's probably the most cohesive as a film of the three that we're <laughs> yeah. I'm talking about today.
0: Like I've 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 only got two problems with the film, really. I mean, I, I can forgive the sort of uh, innocent boys will be boys date rape shit that goes on, and you know, it's like you, you know, you,
2: that, that's the genre. Like, like, at some yeah. point, the fact that we're talking about these at all is sort of like, okay, that just goes with the territory to some degree. I keep bringing it up because I think it's important to keep bringing up that it's yeah. definitely present, but you, you do have to kind of just go with it. To mm. some but there's, there's only two things that I don't like about this
0: film. One, the film concludes very quickly, and mm-hmm. Shannon Tweed's character does not get any comeuppance at all. Like, she is sort of like... In behind the scenes playing people against each other like she's in that sort of love triangle she's trying to take Harkin away from Sonny at the same time it's implied that she's still with the uh, German dude or the Austrian dude like they were it's mentioned that they were former boyfriend and girlfriend so it almost it's implied that maybe he was using her to try to screw up Harkin you know um, but they never really spell it out explicitly. There should have been some moment where Tracy Smith's character got to get one up on Shannon Tweed's character because actually she pretty much just owns Tracy Smith in every scene they have together. She just, you know, talks her down and treats her like crap. And the only other thing, I wish the girl in the gondola got her tits out. Oh,
2: no, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can, I can see that. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I'm with you on that.
0: Yeah. But but other than that, I I really do like this movie. It's it's probably one of the best made uh, sort of 80s sex comedies there is, and it's like, like you're saying that there's it's actually dramatically fairly solid. Like it's surprisingly fairly solid that way. So.
2: Yeah, it, again, it feels like a real movie. It sort of it reminded me a bit of the original Caddyshack. Mm. It reminds me a little bit of Caddyshack in the sense of it's kind of a comedy. It's, I mean, it is a mm-hmm. comedy. Um, it's got some kind of sexual moments. It's got some uh, some some cool stuff in it. It's it's got a bunch of stuff, but it, it does kind of feel grounded in this reality to some yeah. degree. It do, it doesn't feel like it's this. I mean, it is. I mean, Caddyshack in particular is this you know kind of crazy off the walls comedy um it, at times but then there's also just kind of on some level it just kind of feels like this is just kind of what people are like in this yep. subculture. so um i don't know it, it just it kept it was almost like it was harder for me to uh enjoy it on the uh you know just kind of fun laughing at the tits and assiness of mm-hmm. it because i kept kind of going like oh there's actually like a character drama here yeah that I'm <laughs> kind of interested in following you know um anyway
0: yeah uh all right
2: i can't believe i couldn't remember the Titled Caddyshack. Right there, yeah. <laughs> I kept thinking Groundhog. I was like, no, it's uh, not Groundhog yeah. Day. Fuck you, you know.
0: But, you know because
2: the Groundhog is so Bill Murray know, and, prominent.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah, Bill Murray. <laughs>
2: just, it's not Groundhog. Fuck you, Daniel. Come on, seriously. No, no, no.
0: <laughs> Caddyshack. Yeah. All right, we'll move on to Hamburger, the Motion Picture, 1986, which is sort of a spiritual sequel to this film, uh, written by Donald Ross, directed this time by Mike Marvin, who was doing the second unit directing in Hot Dog. He came on in the last minute to direct this film because the original director was shit-canned, like, a few days in. And Mike Marvin took the job at the last minute, came in the day after he was given the script, and had to reshoot most of the opening of the film. Considering that, I think he did a pretty fucking good job for this. Um, it, st-
2: it stars... Let's see here if I can find... It. Yeah, Lee... Lee... Mc- t- t- Stars in quotes here, I think, on on some of these, uh, you know, starring. Uh, No, please. Uh, Lee
0: McCloskey as Russell. He's the main character. Um, You have his friend, Sandy Hackett, as Fred Domino, Um, as as we mentioned, was in Hot Dog as the Wet T-Shirt Contest uh, MC. Um, It has Tit Butkus, famous uh, football coach, as Druton. (laughs) sort of the hard-nosed sergeant uh, character. We have Randy Brooks, who was sort of also a minor sort of TNA celebrity in the 80s uh, as Miss Vunk. Um, we have uh, some other characters here. Uh, Jack Blessing as Nacio Herb Zipster is sort of the nerd character. Deborah Blee shows up again here as Mia Vunk, the daughter of Lyman Vunk, who is sort of the uh, patriarch of this fast food empire. John William Young as... I'm not going to say this name right. Uh, Presto Presto Papa Nick? I I don't know. But he's the big fat guy. um, Who... The scientist No, he's the, he's the big fat guy who keeps shocking himself. Oh, oh right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sure, yeah sure, and sure. Chip McAllister as Magneto Jones, which I think is a character we're going to be talking about in some depth in this one. Um,
2: <laughs> I think yeah. so, oh, yeah. How much time you got? Yeah. Do you want to start, or shall I kind of kind of do my over Well, I'll now? just give a really quick
0: uh, summary of the plot. Essentially, uh, the character of Russell, he's this sort of, Uh, sex addict. Well, he's not even like sex addict, he's just this guy that women throw themselves at. He's
2: he's the perfect every man character Mm. in the sense of he's a completely ordinary guy who is uh irresistible to women with no uh with no effort Mm. on his part. This is someone I identify with, yeah, you know, know, 100% on board with gorgeous women, including the uh psychiatrist who's trying to treat him cannot help but lower their panties in his presence 15 seconds after yeah. meeting him. Uh, um, this is very realistic, grounded, uh, something that every person can exactly. relate
0: to. Um, so basically his, his problem is he can't focus a uh, big surprise there. So he's basically dropped out of several colleges or flunked out of several colleges and he has a big inheritance coming up and his parents are like, you have to get into a college to, Meet the requirements of getting this inheritance, and what college can you get into? Every other one you flunked out of. The only one available that he might have a chance at is uh, basically these. This uh, hamburger university. It's what? Uh, what's the name of their fucking company? I can't remember. It's uh, Bowl buster, uh, buster burger. burger yeah buster burger university and it's like a 12 week course tuition is free where the fuck are you gonna find that anywhere and it, right. it's, it's actually based on like hamburger university with
2: i i have a feeling this is not an accredited university though i mean i i you know it feels like you know can you really get a bachelor's degree in in flipping yeah. burgers at you know for 12 weeks i, yeah, I don't know it, but... it's it's definitely anyway. based
0: on like the hamburger university for mcdonald's where you train to become like a uh, middle management or upper management person, and get a franchise and shit. Mm-hmm. right. So basically, he goes to this. He meets up with this big cast of weird characters, basically crosses the wrong side of Dip character as Druton, who's you know trying to punish everyone, but he especially wants to punish him because he basically falls uh, in a relate in love with uh, Deborah Blee's character of Mia Vunk, and she feels the same way, and uh, Di Butkiss's character has eyes on Mia. So that's the main conflict in the film.
2: One thing that uh, – this is one that I had seen. I had seen this as a kid. Didn't have clear memories of it. Uh, just kind of um, didn't watch it a lot. Um, I'd probably seen it two or three times or something, you know. But but um, really didn't remember it at all. Um, I'll tell you the one scene that was like definitely – I know this scene is in the film and you're going to – like that. this is the part that I remember – is towards the end when they feed the uh, laxative formula to the, uh, <sighs> the eating club. Uh, and they all rush into the bathroom and there's an explosion. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, that's, this is definitely something we're going to have to discuss down the line. <laughs> Because uh, I'll just say it now: the the Eating Club, by the way, you know, which is like we're just gonna make fun of how fat these people are, and they literally sit and drink like sixty shakes a piece. Well, I think they're eat, called like...
0: the I think they're called the four hundred Club in the film because uh, they're all f- right. over
2: four hundred pounds. <laughs> right. Um. You know, and it's it's a sign of like the the mindset of this film. See, like you're literally supposed to think that these human beings are that animalistic, that <laughs> yeah. they are oinking. As the you know, like that's that's how literally they treat this thing. So, gives you a sense of the tone of the film. I think mm-hmm. to to uh, to to just put it that way. Um, definitely one of those moments of like you know, I'm a heavy set guy. I like to eat. This was uh, anyway. But that was my only like clear memory of this film was that sequence at the end. Um, the second film we've discussed in this series that involves people being force fed something that makes them sick. Yeah. By the way, uh, another. uh genre staple of these <laughs> of these kinds of movies probably the the one thing that's really interesting about this besides the fact that um it's there's there's a fair amount of uh, kind of tna action and there's a fair amount of uh female desire like like uh being taken seriously in mm-hmm. the film which is something that I that I like seeing as a you know as a reasonable adult in the 21st century that they actually are kind of considering the fact that women like to fuck th- too yeah. and you know they they make both good and bad decisions at times but um, the broad satire of this was something that I was surprised by. How, uh, you know, going back to '86, uh, uh, you're you're definitely in this time period where the kind of ascendancy of McDonald's as this like corporate behemoth mm-hmm. uh, that everyone was just kind of fascinated with. How are they like making this much money selling burgers? You know, like like the idea like when this um, corporatization and homogenization was kind of you know in the Reagan years kind of seen as a good thing and as a like oh they made they've made billions of dollars. Of course they're good people. you know yeah. like, um, but the the idea that even at this point we're doing this kind of uh, satirical version of it. this is a film I really want to see remade. Hmm. I, I want to see like a kind of clever version of this general idea of uh, give this to somebody uh, with, a, uh, with a real um, satirical edge. Um, I know there was Fast Food Nation a few years yeah. ago, which uh, you know kind of explores some of the more socio-political well, elements of this. But I think there is a great comedy to be made out of the idea of we're going to do a a university where you learn how to mm-hmm. make burgers. Uh, otherwise, structurally, it hews very closely to the police academy formula. Yeah, um, very much. Yeah. In fact, it's so much so that I it was kind of expecting, oh, it's kind of kind of be a university comedy, and we're going to kind of do like. Over teaching classes about making burgers, and there's a little bit of that, mm-hmm. but it kind of becomes like a drill sergeant movie, like yeah. just because of the police academy influence. Um, you get the, uh, the wacky cast of characters who all have uh, very uh, disparate backgrounds, um, including, and uh, this is my favorite recurring visual joke in the film that made me laugh every time I saw it. Um, there's a nun character who uh, shows up, says that uh, the voice of God told me to come and uh, do this. And everyone in the film is given a, like, a uniform, like a red and yeah. whatever, red-white red, uniform, and that's, like, kind of what you wear. She wears a red and white nuns habit. Yeah. And... I'm, I, I can't explain to you why I felt that was so funny that I laughed at it every single time I saw and, her in this a ridiculous costume.
0: And you know um, what? It's strangely believable for this film because the guy who plays Lyman Vunk, Charles T- Tyner, his character mm-hmm. takes basically his ownership of this company to a religious fervor. Like, they have these actual religious meetings where they're reading from the scripture of their fucking company and... Um, yep. It's a very actually a very good comment on corporations because a lot of corporations are like that way. Uh, Walmart, for instance, is very well documented being that way, uh, where, you know, They'll, they'll have employees at the beginning of a shift like recite their Walmart mantra and shit like that. Right? Uh, I
2: I worked I worked for Walmart for a little while. I can I can tell you that that's true. I mean um and this isn't anything new. I mean in the in the 40s you had IBM would like have their employees like actually like sing songs about how great their CEO Thomas Watson was. You know like there were like company songs where you get together and um if you read kind of satirical like Kurt Vonnegut's book uh, Player Piano. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know is is kind of about like uh, this kind of future world from you know seen from the you know early 60s this future world where all everything is mechanized and so if you manage to get a job at all you are like this you know kind of revered figure and like it, people are just crushed underneath this society but also like once you're in this world you have to keep your bosses happy or you're going to end up in that same place as well mm-hmm. um but they they talk very much about like the uh just the the way that the corporate structure you know is is enforced by the other people in the company and uh i'm sorry to kind of bring that up in this context too, to sorry. talk about hamburger the motion picture and yeah. then go well there's this kurt Vonnegut novel from the 60s you know that's that no, but... kind of on point for this but i th- i feel like that's kind of the direction that this movie wants to go no and this, kind this of, movie you know,
0: this movie is deceptively smart. Like, there's actually some really good stuff in this film behind all the tits and all the jokes and the weird characters. There's actually some really good biting satire in places. Like, very, very well done. Um, um,
2: the We're going to talk about Magneto Jones now. What's Magneto Jones? Yeah, let,
0: let, let, let's get that out of the way, because that's, that's a pretty major point in this film. Here you well, have a black man who is handcuffed, he is basically kidnapped and brought to this place to be put through the system to prove that this company is not racist. It's essentially affirmative action taken to exponential uh, degree, uh, and 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 like it's not implied that he was a prisoner or anything like that. It's just implied that they. Basically took this guy off the street, handcuffed him, and put him in this university uh, to to make his way through it. And he's got handcuffs on throughout the entire damn he, film. He's
2: he's literally got handcuffs on through the film. He is uh, brought on. I mean, it, it's not even like affirmative action because that would be like him trying to do this and like mm-hmm. forcing his way. Or, you know, if you're going to talk about... We're not going to talk about affirmative action here. But, like, if you're going to talk about, like, satirizing affirmative action, it would mm. be like he forces his way in. Like, he wants to do it, and he says, well, I'm a black man, and you got to let me do this if I'm going to, you know, or else I'm going to sue you or whatever. That's not what happens here. This is... The company needing to have like a token, mm-hmm. they have so much trouble getting even a token black person to come in and try to be a manager that they have kidnapped this guy. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I kind of got the feeling that he was that like they picked him up on some charge or something. Like he like I, I kind of got the feeling like he was kind of brought in from like the the justice system or something. Mm-hmm. You know, like he was jaywalking and like, so, all right, you'll well, do, you'll you'll be our new manager. My, my of guess of my of
0: guess was it was probably an. Obs- entity charge who's probably at a gig because he's he's a musical performer he's he's mm-hmm. done as a sort of a amalgam of uh rick james and prince and maybe a little bit of michael jackson thrown in for good measure
1: sure.
0: and so loser vandros yeah so. yeah so so he's like you know he's this very flamboyant like sort of black r&b 80s kind of guy and yeah it, it's almost it almost feels like actually he, he you know i don't know if you've seen this film uh Clint Eastwood one, um was it? Uh it's not it's not Hamburger Hill. It's uh it's the one where Clint Eastwood's a drill sergeant and all these ragtag guys go under his wing and um and there's this character in there played by uh I think it's Lawrence Flint, Lawrence Fishburne, is very much similar to this, where he's like he wants to be a performer and and he's you know he's basically being forced into being uh, part of this um, military unit. I, it's it's in the eighties.
2: I, I will we'll have to find the film. I was googling, it, but I, I can't find it in yeah. ten seconds. But I, it, but it, it no, I haven't seen that film, but it sounds uh,
0: interesting. But it um, it really reminds me of that. <clears throat> oh, excuse me. And yeah, like. Viewed in modern context, like very very problematic kind of
2: thing, <laughs> but, right? But well, I mean, it's it's like you can't even like blame. Again, you can see this as the filmmakers trying to make a point about mm-hmm. like you know, oh, we're not racist, so we're we're gonna hire a Negro. Yeah, yeah, you know, like like, and I apologize for you know kind of putting it that way, but that's sort of the mindset that you kind of see that these guys have is, oh, we'll we'll put one of them people in a position yeah. of authority and that one will isolate him, but we'll have one. And then that's the guy we can point to and say, see, we're not racist. And that's pretty much the way this shit works. A lot of times is, you mm-hmm. know, like, you know, in lots of organizations, Oh, we want to look diverse. So we'll put our one black guy on a, uh, on the recruitment poster and the, yeah. in the, you know, um, everybody just kind of accepts it. Uh, yeah. It's a really interesting kind of dynamic. Um, yeah. Another, uh, another very, um, uh, 1986 moment is the uh, revolutionary uh, South American uh, character from Guatemala um, from or, from or, or, from guacamole guacamole from yeah guacamole <laughs> um in another movie you think this is like bordering on this like racist uh stereotype of what you know, people from Central America are like. Mm-hmm. But then you also think like, I mean, it has to be intentional on some level, you know. I'm sure that there are elements of this that are like the racism of 1986 and this kind of genre. Mm-hmm. But they're trying to make a point about like the way that we see, well, you know,
0: I th- I think Central there was,
2: America, you know.
0: I think there was I think there was some sort of subtle thing going on there that actually goes way back to uh, the sort of Zapata film genre which is a subgenre of spaghetti westerns that was about the Me- the Mexican Revolution which mm-hmm. you know, basically making comments on uh, American capitalism invading Mexico during that time trying to take controlling interests in the country I think there's probably some sort of subtext going on there with that, but they don't, you know, they don't really explore it all that much. So, you know, yeah, I I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff going on in here. Like the movie does not pull any punches. Like it's so politically incorrect in the like in the opening scene, you have an old lady die in the fucking drive through. (laughs) Right, right, right. And and you have a business that has weird business practices as far as their mantras go. Oh,
2: oh, no, absolutely. Put those cookies back, motherfucker. Put those cookies
0: back, motherfucker. We reserve the right to refuse. Few service to assholes like you yeah
2: uh yeah you you really get that sense of uh this is also kind of what like major corporations that are run by a uh a a patriarch Mm. a single patriarch single figurehead um kind of act like in some Mm. ways where there is just this guy who owns this big company kind of gets to act like an autocratic leader doesn't really have a lot of you know checks on his power because he's making a lot of money he can he can Do things like you put those cookies back, motherfucker, and you do see that in uh, very weird. Like the more you look at the way that, you know, some of these big companies work and, you know, you kind of read some of these tales about how some of this stuff is. And, I mean, this doesn't even feel unrealistic. That doesn't even feel like satire to me at this point. Um, You know, there there are plenty of situations that that feel very uh this feels very true to life yeah, Vonk's, um
0: funks um uh, uh, he's, a, he's an obsessed nutcase like he really is like he he cares about his company more than anything else like he does he so far that even his trophy wife he doesn't give a shit about her like it's like why do you even have a trophy wife like
2: <laughs> right I can, can my favorite moment my favorite satirical moment in the film which rings so true to me is the um when they're uh doing the oral exams at the uh, towards the towards the, the mm-hmm. end of the film and there's supposed to be the gotcha question that they give to uh the lead character and it's essentially like oh there's this woman who comes in she wants to use the pay phone if uh you know, but she doesn't have any cash she hasn't bought any food she wants change for she wants four quarters for a dollar what do you say and he you know thinks about it for a second you see him kind of focused, and he says it's corporate policy at Buster Burger not to have pay phones in our restaurants <laughs> because it encourages idleness and a uh, lack of uh, customer flow, which is so corporate mm-hmm. America. Like, that is such a uh, no perfect moment that I was um, amazed that like, it's just, uh, you know, a lot of thoughtful stuff in mm-hmm. this film and then really broad, stupid comedy and then some tips. Yeah, um... uh, uh, but, but con- definitely <laughs> Connie yeah,
0: Lingus under the table and, um, yeah, yeah. like, uh,
2: uh, which is a great scene by mm-hmm. the way, you know, oh, oh, and, uh, they go to the Chinese restaurant which is incredibly
0: racist and as
2: well. <laughs> the, you know, all the dishes, all the, all the food items are, uh, really terrible fake Chinese, like so long, you know, so long uh, dong and uh, yep, I'm surprised, yep. I'm surprised and, they didn't uh, say
0: cream of some young guy. I don't think they said that one there. That was the obvious one.
2: They, they that that that's definitely worth uh worth putting mm-hmm. out there, but uh, you know I think um my favorite is you know the two ladies are underneath the table, and the horn dog is uh, eating one of them out, eating the uh, the buxom mm-hmm. blonde out, and he says, and then I'll try uh, column B over here, you know, which is the way they used to do Chinese restaurants. I don't know. Um, what do you think of the uh, the gross out comedy bits in this? Very. Uh, there are a couple almost, of moments. Almost
0: surreal. Like, There's that scene where right after the Chinese restaurant thing where they're punishing the two, two guys, where mm-hmm. they put them in the pickle sweat boxes and they put the torture sauce and the torture jingle on. And like that is mm-hmm. super gross. Uh, the part where they're showing the burgers going down the conveyor belt, that's super gross. The opening montage of this film is disgusting as fuck. It made me almost not want to ever eat a burger again because they have all these guys with like These over mustached middle America kind of people (laughs) eating these things that look like fried dog food.
2: Yeah, no, it's 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 funny like how a movie called Hamburger the Motion Picture. And it's very much about how disgusting fast food is like that. That's kind of the point, you know? Yeah, no. Um, I, I'll say also just, just as an aside, I've been watching, um, on Netflix, a lot of the, uh, Bob's burgers cartoon, mm-hmm. um, which, uh, I hadn't really gotten into, but, uh, my wife was kind of into it and, uh, I just started watching it, you know, from the beginning with her, uh, and, uh, you know, a film that is also sort of about like the restaurant or a a tv series that that kind of it has its own like thing but kind of set in a burger restaurant and there the whole gag is that uh bob the lead character actually makes really good burgers but nobody's eating there because they want like shitty food um which i think is is kind of the flip side of this idea like like the uh the kind of going for the masses um I don't know. Um, Hamburger the motion picture reminded me a lot of Idiocracy. Yeah, um, in a lot of ways, I think it has a lot of the same strengths and a lot of the same weaknesses. Honestly, I, I kind of have this uh, similar opinions of of both of those. It's films. very much about um, the
0: dumbing down of America. Like that opening montage where they show that sort of middle middle America. It's almost implied, like it's almost a a fetish subculture like to a degree, right? Mm-hmm. Like where you see the guy, they're, they're all, you know, they're all fat, they got mustaches, they got weird hats on and stuff. It's almost like a Walmart sort of culture kind of thing, same deal, where, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you see the, the the internet memes of Walmart sort of people. There there really is a kind of a Walmart culture as far as customers go, you know. So. Sure, sure.
2: Well, and we and we talk about, like, one thing that we, we have a hard time talking about, at least, you know, here in America, I won't speak for Canada, but I think it, it's true of, of both of our, uh, great countries is we don't really talk about class issues. We're, we're very good at talking about, um, you know, racial distinctions mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. But we don't talk about. Uh, well, we're not very good at talking about racial distinctions, but we like to yeah. talk about racial distinctions. Um, and so many of our of our the the, the things that we talk about are, are really class distinctions. And um, I think that there is an element of talking about it's that punching up versus punching down thing you know making fun of the people who are you know a a person making a film who is in that point in your life to where you are making it what is presumably a fairly decent budget um motion picture Mm -hmm. and you get to write this and and then to make fun of the customers of a place like buster burger or mcdonald's um it feels over the line to me mm. you know i mean kind of portraying the food is disgusting portraying the feels okay but kind of talking about the customers eh, kind of feels a little a little mean-spirited which also kind of going back to what i was talking about at the beginning the uh the the eating club the the 400 club yeah. uh you know it's sort of that same phenomenon it's Making fun of fat people because they like to eat. Although, uh, you know, the guy who's trying to be on that weight loss program joins their club at the end, which I, you know, yeah. <laughs> and, and the, he kind of—they're they're all kind of friends—and you kind of get that, like, yeah, oh, maybe it's you know, like, maybe the film's trying to, you know, yeah. apologize a little bit. You know, it's, it's, end, it's you weird.
0: Know? Like, the film had the opportunity to um, talk about diversity and everyone accept themselves for what they are. But that's what police academy does. This one does not does, does not cash in on the, on the premise in the end because in a police academy film. Everyone who's different uses their different skills and talents to aid in winning the day in this one it does not happen these all these wacky oh. characters they're all fucking useless they they, they have no they skills are, yeah.
2: at all <laughs> they have uh the one thing the nun ends up like she actually like and this is the there is a literal deus ex machina in this film. <laughs> You know, where at the end, uh, Vunk walks in, he's uh, you know, completely ignores everything that's happening, all the reasons he should fire all Mm -hmm. of these people because he's trying to get into the chicken game. Yep, and he finds the nun has that perfect, you know, by God, it's good, (laughs) or my God, it's good, and then suddenly, like we're going to make billions off of this. And then suddenly it's again, you know how these kind of autocratic leaders just get to do this shit. Like, you know, but you know, and then you realize like at the beginning, you know, she says, well, I heard a voice from God, like God in this film, God made her join this academy. (laughs) So that our heroes of the film could become fast food managers. yeah, Like, God Himself has come into this universe and uh, <laughs> made this happen for these people, yep. uh, which I think is fascinating.
0: Because mm. uh. uh, <laughs> the way I would have ended this film, it would have been more traditional, but it would have been the ending montage where you see where everyone ends up. So, like, like the Animal House montage, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the the nun, she would have you would have seen her face on all kinds of billboards with the slogan. Uh, the fat guy—you would have seen him in like a weight loss treatment program or something like that, or you know, as a as an exercise guru or something like that. Um, sure. You would you would see the uh, Latin American woman like back in her home country like overthrowing the government and and putting a, a Buster Burger yeah. in, in place. Yeah, uh, you would see. You would say Magneto Jones not selling out to the man and sell and singing the corporate song. You'd see him like singing like some Motown shit somewhere, uh, and you know, and and whooping we'll, we'll it up instead of singing the theme song. By the way, there's like five or six variations of the fucking theme song in this film, which was. Kind of impressive. Like, there was some forethought into this. Like, we're going to put different versions of the theme song and, like, jingle versions of it and stuff into the whole film. It's like a thread going throughout the entire thing. There's
2: way more effort in this film than it deserves. Like, there, there is so much going on. There is a... We have not even mentioned this. There is a, like, helicopter sequence in mm-hmm. this film. Like, a, a full-fledged... They had some money to hire a helicopter for a couple yeah. of days sequence in this film which i'm amazed that that uh and and it's uh the the whole point of it is to uh, see randy uh, brooks yeah randy randy brooks wants to get laid you know and that's that's the point you know there is a uh there is this kind of thing of like remaking old films Mm -hmm. from the 80s right now and uh this is this is one i mean you probably couldn't call it hamburger the motion picture like you i would love to see like a spiritual sequel to this i'd love to see like a version of this in like set in a Walmart kind of environment or um you know so like a like a whole foods i think you could do a lot with like a you know the the, the whole foods yeah. party or the uh you know um you know find a find a new sacred cow to to kind of poke at but um the the, the, don't know.
0: <laughs> the only reason they called this film hamburger the motion picture was because hot dog the name hot dog was so successful it's like totally a produ- producer's kind of thing it's like let's call this one mm-hmm. fucking hamburger you know and right, um right.
2: and the two films really could not be more different mm. in, in in so many other ways i mean you know other than the fact that they both were talking about them together and they both have some tits mm-hmm. in it um you know one is a fairly kind of grounded dramatic piece and the other is a very broad and silly comedy yeah. with uh some some gross out moments uh uh and they uh you know that's a beautiful, mm-hmm. woman. So and I—that's why we're talking. And about I'd be together.
0: remiss if I didn't mention just briefly the subplot with the nerd character, where they basically—they do genetic experiments on him. They—they they fill him with chicken cum, right?
2: Like, like what is what is the. <laughs> What is the point of like? I, I I get from the point of view of the uh, characters in the movie. I get the rest of it, but what does turning this guy into a chicken have anything to do with selling chicken in I a don't restaurant? Know. Like
0: my only assumption was that they were eventually going to cut them up and eat them. Like in in
2: yeah, or like maybe they were worried that the additive that they were adding to their chicken. Like I kind of got the impression that, like they were adding some additive to the yeah. chicken. That made it taste extra delicious, but that if you got enough of it, it would do this to you <laughs> or something like that. Like, you know, and I was just, I, I just, I, like, I didn't, I, I, I still don't really understand where that came yeah. from. I will say the actor sells it. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you've got to give this guy credit for uh, really pushing the limits of, of uh, you know, if you've got a, a silly, very broad comedic role like this. You've just gotta believe it one hundred percent. That's the only way he, to get it. He does
0: he does the you know? nerd role on the level of like Eddie Deeson, who you know basically did the nerd in almost all of those fucking films back in the day. But
2: Very yeah. effective. Um uh, I have
0: I've got nothing else to say, but I, I really like it. Like I actually I like all three films that we talked about tonight, but
2: uh I, I do as well. I think uh, you know, I will say that the uh the daughter Deborah um, Blee? Yeah, is fucking mm-hmm. gorgeous. That's that's you know I feel bad that that's kind of where, where I land on this, but yeah, wow. Well, mm. no, I bet um, you. I, I, I bet you the Beach
0: Girls is on YouTube, so I'm.
2: Um... <laughs> uh, I'm gonna have to go uh, check mm. that out some, sometime very soon. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. No, that, that's kind of. Uh, would you like to rank these three since we're, we we kind of did that last <sighs> yeah, week? Yeah, um, uh, you know, kind of favorites. At
0: least I would, as much as I want to say. Hot Dog is the better made movie and, you know, better acting and everything across the board. I'd actually say I appreciate Hamburger a lot more just because there is so much going on in that film. Like, once you get past all the sort of stereotypical shit, it, there's actually some really good satire and stuff going on to a level where I really appreciate it. So that would be, like, my number one. Then I'd go Hot Dog. Then I'd go Malibu Bikini Shop. And only because Malibu Bikini Shop is... It doesn't try to be anything other than what it is, so, you know.
2: Right. Uh, I would probably probably give you the same order. I, I think in terms of my enjoyment watching these again, um, I think uh, Hot Dog was probably the one that I enjoyed watching the least um, just because it, it is a lot of uh, ski footage mm-hmm. and uh, not particularly visually interesting to me you know you know it is just kind of a a fairly straightforward sports movie to to some degree hamburger definitely has the largest uh it's uh it's definitely trying for the most uh i don't know that that necessarily makes it the best but it's definitely trying (laughs) to do the most stuff um i don't know i have a hard time ranking them because i do feel like they're such different films but Mm -hmm. but i I think your ranking is pretty solid i i I agree with your reasoning um but Mm -hmm. i think i had for me, the most fun I had was rewatching Malibu just because I, I just grew up with that one. And yeah. so seeing that again was just uh, – but if I had to take it like on a you know, critical level, um, probably the same order you gave, hamburger, hot dog, then Malibu is – you know, which I still would – I still like Malibu Bikini Shop. But uh, it's not really trying for anything um, mm-hmm. at all interesting, you know? All
0: right. Um, so Daniel, tell us about your amazing Doctor Who podcast.
2: Uh, yeah, no, uh, I do a, uh, if you like, listen to me over things that, that shouldn't be over-intellectualized, <laughs> and um, you like me talking about um, sexism and racism in uh, old media and new media times, you should uh, check out the uh, Doctor Who podcast I do with my wife. It's called Oi Spaceman, a Doctor Who love story. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find us at oispaceman.libsyn.com. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N.com. And uh, we are – I missed this week because I just had shit to do. But um, we're kind of looking at a lot of companions from the classic series. We do classic and new series. In fact, the next episode that goes up will be um, of a 10th Doctor story. So if you're only a new series fan, you should check that out. And uh, we actually did a live commentary that will be going up in a couple of weeks of a a Tom Baker story. Cool. And um, Shanna almost fell asleep towards the end, which was uh, hilarious. So (laughs) we'll we'll see how that well, the thing is that when you do a live commentary, you can't edit it. I can't mm-hmm. edit shit out. So uh, literally towards the end, you get to hear me go, like, come on, baby, you got to wake up. <laughs> we're going to get to the end here. Yeah, it,
0: awesome. it,
2: should be, uh, it should be quite amusing. But uh, yeah, check that out if you're so inclined.
0: Yeah, so uh, you can you can find a link to uh, Daniel's uh, podcast. Uh, when you listen to the trailer, it'll direct you to our Podbean site where you can find that link. You can find all of our other sort of YouTube and Twitter links, uh, Paul's stuff. You can find similar podcasts of similar interests that I've linked down there that I really enjoy, and you can leave feedback via the email address there, or you can just leave it down here in the YouTube video if you're watching that. What would you like to go out on, Daniel? Um,
2: Either Duran
0: Duran uh, with Hungry Like a Wolf or some variation of the theme song from Hamburger, the motion picture.
2: It's got to be the theme song from Hamburger. Um, I'm okay with not doing the Duran Duran song. Oh, uh, this episode and I, and I'm... As much as I love hunger Like a Wolf, you know? Yeah,
0: and I'm probably less likely to get copyright flagged for that one as well. So.
2: <laughs> probably probably yeah. yeah. So, Alright. Um also there are a lot of great songs in my bikini shop. I kept like like humming the soundtrack uh, for that <laughs> one. But um no I ha- the the hamburger theme song, especially uh uh the, the Magneto Jones uh, oh, yeah. song at the end, you know, um would would probably be what I would go out on. But you know,
0: yeah, I'll see if I can grab that one. All right. Sure. Uh, Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Please send in your comments and questions. We definitely want them. Um, And thank you, Daniel, for joining me again.
2: Always love being here.
0: All right. Bye, people. On almost
3: any corner of almost every town On every lonely highway You'll ever travel down You're gonna find a burger shop Americana, my How long
0: Thank you for listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Site. For our other episodes, links to Daniel, Paul, and Lee's other stuff, and links to some great podcasts of similar interest, visit us at tmbdos.podbean.com. There you can leave us comments on the site or directly email us. We Listen and respond to everything. Thank you. Drive through.